appreciation for it has grown. I've come to see it as a kind of clue to the meaning of the universe. And naturally, as a Christian, I understand it is God who gives meaning to this universe. So this piece of wisdom, this truth, points us to God. Now, it doesn't do so directly. It doesn't point straight at him. Rather, it, uh, it, it shows us something about our world which reflects him and his ways and the spiritual reality of our existence. Uh, there are really actually many things like it uh, uh, scattered throughout creation, like jewels uh, peeking out from the rocks. And their function uh, is uh, like the parables of our Lord. For those who have the eyes to see it, they see the truth beyond it. And for others, all they see is what's right there before them, and their hearts and their minds remain unaffected. Now, now this piece of insight, I think, is like that. And before I tell you what it is, I, I have to warn you that some of you will not understand this because of a particular misunderstanding which you have. But I'll tell you this, if you stay with me, and if you want to understand it, if you ask God to help you, then you will. You will understand. And I think the lights will come on for you, and that misunderstanding will be cleared up. Now, after that build-up, I, I hope you're not going to be disappointed uh, when I tell you what my friend said those many years ago, which has meant so much to me uh, over the years. Uh, it's really rather plain on the outside, and it's pretty simple to grasp. It's kind of like the Lord's parables, but but if you come to understand it, it's really quite profound. Again, like the parables Jesus told. Anyway, George, my friend, told me, and, and I know it wasn't original with him. I mean, uh, the best things in life really are never original. They're echoes of eternal things. But he said to me, updated for our day and culture, uh, and, and here it comes, <laughs> religion is people's efforts to reach God, and Christianity is God's effort to reach people. And, and, um, and some of you, I, I know, you just thought, oh, is that it? <laughs> and I wonder how many people heard parable of the sower and thought, oh, is that it? But for others that are here, I need to repeat what I just said so that you know that you heard me right. Religion is people's effort to reach God. Christianity is God's effort to reach people. And you might be wondering what the difference is. Well, if you think with me right now, if my friend George was right, and I do believe that he was. That means that Christianity stands by itself over here, and all the other religions and faiths of the world find themselves in this, this category over here, with one exception, which I will explain in a moment. Christianity teaches us that God created us in his image to have a relationship with him. Sin destroyed that relationship, and we could not fix it. And so God, because he loves us, he sent his son to save us, to die in our place, to take away our sins, so we could once again have a relationship with him. See, that's 
God's effort to reach us. Now, the rest of the religions of the world say we have to do something. We're separated from God. We have to get back. And so they devise their schemes and they design their plans. So maybe you have to work. You have to do good deeds. And and not only do you have to do good deeds, you have to do more of those than the bad things you do. And you have to hope that the scales balance in your favor. Or you have to meditate or sacrifice or fast or belong to this church or that group. And in every one of those concepts there, everything is about you and about what you do. See, it all depends on you. It's all about your efforts to reach God. And if you think about it, that's exactly what you would expect if there was one true God who loves humankind. You see, he would make a way. And it would be different from that which we might think. It wouldn't be the kind of thing that we would make up if we were inventing a religion. I have to tell you, because we're so familiar with it, uh, it, it, we're around it so much, we don't realize how astounding and astonishing Christianity really is. That God would die in our place. That God would suffer from our sins. You know, in our natural thinking, we would say the sinner ought to suffer for his own sins. See, there's nothing. There's absolutely nothing else like our faith in all the world. Now, what we would do if we were inventing a religion is if we were to make one up. It's, the, it's the, exactly the kind of things that we see in all those other faiths. In, in our fallen state, in our self-absorbed and self-centered way, it, it would be all about us. Um, it would it would be what we're going to do. And there's this tremendous variety of religions out there. But you know what? When you boil them all down, they're all the same. They're all humankind's efforts to reach God. Religion is people's efforts to reach God. And Christianity is God's effort to reach now, I, I need to tell you about that one exception which I mentioned, and uh, and then I need to clear up that misunderstanding which some of you might have. First, Judaism, biblical Judaism, to be clear about it, <laughs> uh, is in the same category of Christianity. You see, Judaism is the foundation of our faith, and Christianity is the fulfillment of Judaism. No Jewish person has ever been saved by the things they do. They are saved by God or they are not. Properly understood, both of them, Christianity and Judaism, are God's efforts to reach humankind. And secondly, when my friend George shared that little piece of wisdom with me, I knew, and he said, that he's not referring to everything that goes by the name of Christianity. He was talking about the biblical faith. You see, there are churches out there that have become just like those other religions. Some of those have let go of the Bible altogether and they no longer believe it. Others have elevated something else above it or alongside of God's Word, and so they miss its clear teachings. Some add to God's Word or try to change its meaning. 
And some churches no longer really stand for anything. They are simply a repackaging of the spirit of our time. But what each of them has done is to change the faith, which the Bible declares was delivered to the saints once and for all. And they've taken that and turned it into just another religion, another effort of man to reach God. Now, if you're sitting here today and you uh, see what my friend George uh, meant, if you're beginning to see it, it, it means that the light of heaven is reaching you. If you understand that, you're seeing beyond the veil of this world and into eternity as it stretches out before us. There really isn't a bewildering number of choices out there. We choose between the unique and the generic. There really are only two ways you can go. You can try to work your way in some manner or other into God's good favor, or you can accept what God has done to save you. I have to tell you, if you decide to go uh, down that first way, if you decide to choose that way, if you're going to try to work your way into heaven or into the existence of nothingness, as some religions teach, it's still a work and it's still a way to try to get to God. Our text today has something to say to you, which you really need to hear. See, if you go down that path, you will, at best, come to your senses and you'll have wasted your time and resources. But if you continue that other way, you'll find destruction at the end. And it really is just that critical. So I want to ask you to join me once again in the book of Romans, where we're going to be looking at chapter 10 and verses 1 through 17. So we've been making our way through Romans September, and, um, and we've arrived at a section now in the book where genuine believers um, understand it in different ways. So chapters 9 through 11, they form a, a unit, and there's an awful lot of information there, and that, along with those different interpretations, necessarily means a great deal of explanation. Now, since we now have six to eight hours to spend together today, I, I have to try to break that unit down so I can communicate it to you in the time allotted to us uh, over several Sundays. And so the text we're looking at today is a kind of a linchpin. It holds both ends of Paul's reasoning together. And his thoughts here, I think, are going to help us understand other things that he says when we get around to those other things. And we're going to begin with uh, verse 1 of chapter 10, where Paul is virtually repeating something that he said more forcefully at the beginning of chapter 9, where he talked about his great concern for his people, the Jewish people. So we read here in chapter 10, 1 says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer is for, uh, is, is to God is for the Israelites, is that they might be saved. Now you see, Paul himself was a Jew who would come to believe in Jew Jesus as the Messiah. Uh, he didn't start out that way. Um, he, he began by persecuting the church, but he eventually, through God's intervention, uh, came to believe in Jesus. And he, he longs for the Jews, along with all people, to come to Christ. 
And what he's acknowledging right here is that many had not. This is part of the issue that Paul's addressing in these chapters, as we're going to see another time. But Paul goes on in verses 2 and 3, and he talks about his fellow Jews, and he does so from a personal experience. In verse 2, he says, For I can testify about them, that is, the Jewish people, that they're zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. So Paul himself was zealous, and he persecuted the church. See, he understood having zeal for God isn't enough. From this, we know someone can be very sincere. They can really attempt to live out their beliefs and still be wrong in what they believe. You know that old story of the worker who set his ladder uh, against the place, and um, he made multiple trips up and down that ladder. He took up his material and his tools to the roof only to discover that he leaned his ladder against the wrong wall. It's a perfect illustration of this. See, all of that effort was to no avail. And, and I have to tell you, you have to wonder how many people in our world today are, well, maybe they're not zealous for God, but they're sincere. And they're sincerely wrong, as the Jews were, as Paul himself See, they've leaned their ladder against the wrong wall, and all their effort is to no avail. Paul explains further in verse 3, since they did not know the righteousness of God. And here, this is this lack of knowledge Paul's just mentioned. They sought to establish their own righteousness, which means they didn't submit to God's righteousness. So Paul's fellow Jews failed to see what God was offering them. They, they were too busy uh, trying to get on God's good side by all the things that they were doing. So they were missing out on God, what God was offering. So, so we go back to our friend. He's got this ladder in place, right? And he, and he keeps walking by the house number, which tells him the right house that he ought to be working on. It's written in large letters, and he brings his tools by and his ladder by and the materials to the job, and he walks by it. And even as he's making his way up and down, he can see that number. He's looking right at it, but he's much too busy. He's in much too much of a hurry. He, he has it in his mind what he's going to do, and he doesn't see what is plain in plain sight before him. Verse 4 of our text, Paul tells us that which God has put into plain sight. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who no, that means that means Jesus completed the law. He fulfilled it. He lived it out perfectly. He never sinned. He always kept the law, and he's the only one who ever has. And yet, because he did, he makes righteousness available to all who believe. So, so you kind of get an idea uh, uh, of what this means if you picture this vast treasure house, and it's filled with every imaginable thing which is good and worthy. And, and it's not only a treasure house, but it's a place where you can live. And, and it's a place where if you ever see it, you know that you were meant to live there. But you've been locked out. You're on the outside and there's no way you can get in. You don't have a key. You don't have ability to get inside. And then Christ came. And, and he opened the door. And then he invites 
us in. And here's the thing, friends. It really is either or. Either your ladder is on the right wall or it's not. Either you understand and believe and accept that God has provided a way for you through his son, or you go your own way, which even if it's religious, and even if you are sincere, and even if you are zealous, you are still wrong. Now Paul continues his line of reasoning by putting those two different ways side by side. And as he does so, he reveals something about the heart of those who pursue those different ways. And really, as we ought to know, it is a matter of the heart. So we read in verse 5 this. Moses writes about the uh, righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. So what Paul's doing here is he's reasoning with us. He quotes Moses, and he tells us when it comes to the law, you'll be okay if you do these things. That's a big if because it means you have to do all of these things, and then, and only then, would you make it. It means every commandment, every mandate, everything which you must do, and every prohibition, those things you must do, is absolute. You must always every time, without fail, do this thing and do not do this other thing. And there is not just one thing to do, nor one thing not to do. There are multiple prohibitions and multiple commitments that we have to make. And one failure, either not doing something you're commanded to do or doing something you're prohibited from doing means complete failure. Moses is clear. Do these things and you'll live by them. He doesn't say do most of these things or some of these things or do them some of the time or choose the ones that you like and you think uh, you can do. He doesn't say give it your best shot. He says do them and you will live. You know, you can almost be certain when you make this clear to someone, their response is that's impossible. I'm only human. To which Paul would say, yes, it is impossible. That's what we've been trying to tell you. And, and when you say you're only human, what you're really saying is this. You're really saying, I can't make it on my own. I fail. Or in more biblical language, I'm a sinner. But we don't like admitting that. We don't like admitting our failures. We want to cover them up. We want to try to fix them up. We want to try to do something so we don't look so bad. Now, I can tell you, I can put a name on that emotion, the motivation, those feelings that you have for you, and you're probably not going to like it. In bygone days, it would sting more than it does in our day, but it hurts to hear it still. What we're talking about here is pride. It's nothing more than pride and nothing less than pride either. See, pride is arrogant and it's blinding. I want you to look at verses 6 and 7. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. See, in these verses, Paul is telling us that faith-based righteousness is not, it is not 
temptation is. Those who think they can get to heaven by the things they do, they are. You see, it's the same kind of arrogance as thinking that you could ascend into heaven which would bring Christ down to earth, or that you could descend into the place where he died to bring Christ up from the dead. In both of those thoughts, one presumes to be in the place of God. And in other words, people who think that they can get into heaven by keeping the law really are on par with those who think that they can be like God. That's how impossible keeping the law is. Pride is blinding. It makes it hard to see especially about yourself. And the danger which pride brings into the picture, this man with his ladder against the wrong wall, you can tell him, but he doesn't want to admit it. He keeps on insisting he's got it right. He keeps climbing and he keeps working, but he doesn't get the job done. But Paul contrasts that with the righteousness that God offers. And we've already seen that it can't be arrogant. Pride has no place in it, right? Instead, it puts Jesus on the front. So verses 8 and 9. But what does it say? Well, it's certainly not arrogantly speaking. Paul quotes Moses again. The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So Jesus, not you, not me, but Jesus is the Lord. But what else does this tell us? Well, the faith is simple. You know, it really is a matter of belief. The faith doesn't demand that you climb a mountain or swim a river or do anything else. You believe. You trust in God. You put your faith, all of your faith, in him. You abandon hope that you can do anything to save yourself. You put all of your weight on God. Well, that's not hard. (laughs) It's really not anything we do. We just trust. That's what God asks of us, to trust him. And then, too, the faith is about what's in your heart. The the belief is in your heart. The confession that comes out of your mouth comes from the heart, too. Jesus tells us it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. It's not what's on the outside, the things that other people can see. It's what's on the inside. It's what only God sees and what you have tried all your life to hide. Now maybe, tired of it all, and all the effort you have to do to put up a good front, you trust God. It, it's an acknowledgement of our need. We're saved. We are rescued. We were lost, but God found us. We couldn't do it ourselves. We needed God to do it for us. That's a very opposite of pride. This is the beginning of humility, which when you really need it, is one of the most beautiful settling and advice things in all the world. Verses 10 and 11 summarize for us, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess and are saved. So it's as simple as that. Read on. The scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. See, we think we'll be put to shame when we admit our failures, but what we discover is we're delivered from shame. We will never be exposed to it. As another scripture says, 
how our life is hidden with Christ. Finally, Paul makes sure we know that this faith is available to everyone. But you see, there is, as he says in verse 12 and following, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Don't you hear how positive that is? How powerful that is? How clear that is? How simple that is? If the faith is for the Jew or the Gentile, then it means it's for everyone. Gentile just means non-Jew. So you're a Jew or you're not a Jew, but the faith is offered to you. And the Lord is rich to any and to all who call on him. You understand that, don't you? I, I hope you do. All of us, every one of us at one time had our ladder leaning against the wrong wall. And all of us were relying on ourselves and what we were doing or not doing or what we were going to try to do. But God's calling you. And if you answer him, if you put your faith in him, you can leave that ladder behind. Because it's not about what you do. It's about what God does for you. Christianity is so different, it's the only faith that doesn't need a ladder. Now, I, I have one more section uh, that I need to cover here, and, and I'm going to be really brief as we consider it. But before we turn there, uh, I, I have a sense. All week long, I've had a sense, and I'm going to call it a leading, that I need to say something today. You see, I have to tell you, I believe with all of my heart, when I stand here before you, that I'm bringing you a message, a message to you, to me also, it's a message from God. I believe that because the Bible, I believe the Bible teaches that. It's not because I'm special. Um, it's not because I'm better than anyone else or somehow smarter. None of those things are true. But I am called. God has made me one of his messengers. And I have this sense about today that there's someone here, maybe more than one who's heard all of this before, who's kept putting off his or her decision. You see, it's though Jesus is standing there and he has his hands stretched out while you merely look at him and don't move. I, I need to tell you that if you stand there long enough, you will discover that sooner or later you will not, you cannot, will not go to them. Your heart will change within you so that that thing that you half want right now but you're afraid to admit will fade into nothingness and you will have missed your opportunity. You cannot work your way into God's favor. He offers you a relationship and those who turn it down have turned their back on all of that which is good and they step into the darkness forever. Now, simply put, I plead with you to come to Christ while you still can. Now, here's another one of those little bits of wisdom which I think can help us understand reality as it really is. If Christianity is true, it is the most important thing which is. 
and it deserves our complete devotion. But if it's not true, it's less than worthless, and it's not deserving of a moment of our thought. But you have to choose. It is one or the other. There is no in between. Now we go on to that last section of our text today. We, we've just said this thing, and what we've just said is true for us too, for us to believe. If we believe the things uh, about our faith are true, then our faith is the most important thing there is, and it deserves our complete devotion. And if we put our cr- trust in Christ, then we have a responsibility. And Paul tells us what that is. He lays it out for us in verses 14 and 15. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they haven't heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful on the feet! Uh, 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 how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? And then Paul reminds us of the importance of proclaiming the gospel. To call on Christ, you need to believe in him. To believe in him, you need to hear about him. To hear about him, someone has to tell you. In order to tell people, someone has to be sent. And surely, you know who God sends, don't you? See, it's not just missionaries. It's not just pastors. It's not just Sunday school teachers. All of them are sent, yes. God has sent you. He he sent you. You know the truth. You have the message. You're sent. Not everyone is going to come, just as verse 16 reveals to us. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report. But we still have to tell them, even though some are and then, too, the power to change is not in us. It's in the Word, as, as we see in verse 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the Word of Christ. The Word of God brings belief. But someone has to tell them. And someone's you and me. There are ladders all around us, leaning against all sorts of walls which lead nowhere but to destruction. You know the way. You know the truth. You know the life. And He has sent you Thing, or it is less.
Christ. Wow. Would you pray with me, please? Thank you, Father, for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for your amazing patience with us. For I know every one of us in this room have put our faith in you, resisted for a time, tried not to hear, we turned away, we found something to divert our attention, but you were faithful, you kept drawing us back, Lord, there might be someone like that here today, Lord, help them to know see, help them to understand just how important this is. There is light or there is darkness at the end of our life. 